Our scripture this morning is Romans chapter 12, verse 11, and Paul says these words. Read it with me, will you? Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. This morning I want to talk to you on the topic of enthusiasm. We say that word enthusiasm. Say it enthusiastically. Enthusiasm. Okay. Uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson said this, every great movement in the annals of history is the triumph of enthusiasm. This morning I want to talk about the power of enthusiasm, and I want to talk about the place of enthusiasm as a very specific work or fruit of the Holy Spirit that is evidenced or intended to be evidenced in every believer's life. Uh, Charles Schwab was an American industrialist who rose from poverty. He found the U.S. Steel Corporation. He said this, you can succeed at almost anything for which you have unlimited enthusiasm. A.W. Tozer, who lived in the early uh, 1900s, mid-1900s, said, if we evangelicals had one-third the enthusiasm of some of the cults, we would take the world. I believe that's true. Norman Vincent Peale wisely said many years ago, years wrinkle the skin, but lack of enthusiasm wrinkles the soul. I believe that's true. Now, when we hear this word enthusiasm in evangelical circles, a lot of times we usually dismiss it as just kind of this empty emotion. It doesn't really have a whole lot to do with, with true Christian character. After all, you know, we're called to be people of the word. Amen? People of the word. And that's true, it's hard to argue with that. But our English word enthusiasm is an interesting word because it comes to us from two Greek words. The words en, meaning in, and theos, meaning God. Enthusiasm literally means to be in God. In fact, in the Greek culture, the word enthusiasm was used to describe a person who lived like they were actually possessed by God. And so enthusiasm literally means God in us. I looked up the word enthusiasm in Merriam-Webster's uh, uh, Collegiate Dictionary, and I found it interesting that the very first definition given for enthusiasm was this, a person who receives revelations from the Holy Spirit. Isn't that interesting? A second definition was something inspiring zeal or fervor. That's interesting because that goes along with what Paul said. Paul said, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor as you serve the Lord. And a third definition of enthusiasm is a break with cultural conventions, or what we might call orthodoxy. Let me begin with the first one. Enthusiasm, a person who receives revelations from the Holy Spirit. Now, when we say that people receive revelations from the Holy Spirit, you'll always have some Christians who will dig in their heels and they'll think something like, who do you think you are? What makes you so special that you think you receive revelations from the Holy Spirit or that you hear from God? But you know what I want to tell you right off the bat? That attitude is not biblical. It's religious. It's pharisaical. It is not biblical because it closes your mind to what God has called you to be open to and to what God has called us to expect. Listen to this longing in Paul's heart as he writes these words to the Christians in Ephesus in chapter 1. He says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and what? 
and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, you can read it on your own time, but Paul basically says, here are some things that we as the people of God ought to expect to be happening in our midst when we gather together in his name. He says you ought to expect messages in tongues. You ought to expect interpretation. You ought to expect prophecies. He says in verse 26, and some of you will receive revelation. He says these are the things that ought to be the norm. When the people of God in whom the Spirit dwells are gathered together and the Spirit is in their midst, you ought to expect some of these things. And when he talks about some of you receiving a revelation, I think if I could boil it down, he's basically talking about something that most of us who know the Lord this morning have experienced at one time or another. You're talking to somebody, or you're in, a, you're in a, an opportunity of ministry, and, and you feel like, I, I need something to say. I'm not quite sure what to say or what to do. So maybe under your breath, you're saying, Lord, Lord, lead me. Lord, give me something. And then all of a sudden, you'll sense the Holy Spirit will drop into your heart maybe a scripture or, or a thought, an impression, uh, an image, or, or something else that, by way of insight into that person's situation. And what you do is you simply share or you minister in your own words what the Lord has dropped into your heart. And it becomes encouragement to that person. That's called a revelation. It's not mystical. It's called a word from the Lord or a word from above. And it's simply the Holy Spirit ministering to that person through you. How many have ever experienced that? The Lord just drops something in your heart to say or to do, and you know it's from the Lord for that moment. Well, if that has happened to you, hold on, that makes you an enthusiastic person. That makes you someone in whom God dwells. It shows you that he lives in you and that he's actually ministering through you. And so enthusiasm means a person who receives revelations from the Holy Spirit. Enthusiasm also means uh, something inspiring zeal or fervor. It has to do with zeal or fervor. It actually has more to do with excitement. Isn't that a great word? And yet that's another word that kind of makes Christians nervous, isn't it? But you don't have to be nervous. It's not a bad word. It's a word that's really full of meaning for those of us who claim to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, contained in the word excite is our word exit. It actually comes to us from an old Latin word, exeter, which means this. It means to call forth, to arouse, to produce a response. That's what excitement means, to be excited. It means to arouse. It means to, 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 to cause you to, 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 to rear up. It causes you to actually, actually have some energy or some, some momentum in an otherwise place where you, where you may be stuck. I think it's safe to say this morning that all of us have things in our life that we will never break away from. Whether it's our attitudes, whether it's relationships, whether it's some of the routines or habits we get ourselves into, there are certain things that we will never break away from, certain things, new things, that we are never going to move into until we actually get excited. You understand me? 
We're never going to break into those new things. We're never going to lay hold of the things that Jesus has for us if we don't learn to get excited. Now, I know some of you are thinking, but Paul, that's just emotionalism. No, no, excitement and emotionalism are not the same thing. You see, excitement and enthusiasm has less to do with emotion for emotion's sake. And it has more to do with actually generating or activating a response in you that dislodges you from where you are stuck and actually gets you into the groove of what God has for you. That's what excitement in the biblical sense as a work of the Holy Spirit, it's all about. It's to awaken your heart, to arouse in you visions, dreams, uh, uh, an idea of what God has for you that makes you realize you don't have to stay stuck. You don't have to stay where the enemy says that you're bound to stay because of whatever you've done or whatever you've experienced or whatever you haven't done. And the enemy just says, well, now you just got to serve your time till Jesus comes. The Holy Spirit wants to come and fill you with hope and fill you with vision and dreams and fill you with his truth and what he sees and his passion and his zeal because he wants to get you unstuck that when you come into the presence of God one day, you will have an abundant entrance. And you don't just slide in by the skin of your teeth. And that has to do with the excitement of the Holy Spirit who helps you to exit or to leave behind what's been holding you back. How many here would say this morning, I just want a new sense of expectation from the Holy Spirit, and I don't mind if I get a little excited. Amen? I don't mind getting excited. I wasn't even raised Pentecostal, and I can put half of you to shame. I don't mind getting excited for the Lord or for the things that he has for us. I think it's what Paul meant when he said, not lacking in zeal, but fervent in spirit. He's talking about people who actually serve Jesus enthusiastically. And because they're enthusiastic in their walk with the Lord, they're constantly moving forward. They're constantly laying hold of what the Lord has. Isn't that what Jesus said? He said, the kingdom of, of, of God suffers violence. It allows for violence. It allows for struggle. But it's the violent. It's those who have excitement. It's those who have enthusiasm that lay hold of what God has for them. That it doesn't just wash down the drain. I heard this weekend that there was a conference on here, and there was actually a prophetic word that was spoken. The, the group was not with us, but some lady spoke and said there's going to be a move of God among our young people and among our children. Doesn't know the church, doesn't know anything. And you know what? I'm excited about that, but I'll tell you this. It's not going to happen unless we lay hold. It's not going to happen. There are words God will speak to you through his word. There are prophecies God will speak over to you. And you can be excited. You can say wonderful. But if you sit on your duff, it's going to go by you. And you can say duff in church. It's okay. I'm telling you, friends, we can get excited. But the kingdom is for those who lay hold. Lay hold of the promise. Lay hold of the prophecy. Why does God give the prophecy? In order to speak life into death, to speak optimism where there might be hopelessness, to speak dream and vision where you might be tempted to settle for the way things always are and not believe. He says, this is my promise. Do you want it or not? If it excites your heart, well, begin to change the course. Begin to change your priorities. Begin to seek after me and I'll give you the desires of your heart. You need to lay hold. That's what excitement is about. That's what enthusiasm is about. And people who understand that, uh, understand that because we live in the culture that we live in, we need this enthusiasm of the Holy Spirit. We need this excitement. I don't know about you. I, I work in a pretty good environment. 
you know, it's not too much bad stuff goes on, but some of you guys kind of live in environments where you go home at night just weighed down, you know, because you're just surrounded by criticism and cynicism and skepticism and negativity, aren't you? Right? You know, you don't want to go near the water cooler. You'd rather die of thirst than hang out there because of what's there and what's going to get on you. You know, you just rather avoid those things. But, but that's the culture that we live in. And as the people of God, God is saying, listen, you need a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit. Because that fresh touch of the Holy Spirit will stir you up again and rekindle what God has birthed in you so that you don't give in to the Spirit around that water cooler. We need the fresh fullness of the Holy Spirit. That's why you read time and again in the book of Acts that every time the early believers faced opposition or persecution or seasons of spiritual dryness, how did they face it? They faced it with a prayer meeting. They got together again in the presence of the Lord, but they weren't praying for deliverance. They weren't praying for comfort. They weren't praying for prosperity. They weren't going through a long list of all their little needs. What were they praying for? They were praying to become full of God again. That was their prayer. They realized that was their greatest need. Why? So they could keep moving forward in what God had for them and not be bogged down in all the petty things that the enemy wants to hang on us to weigh us down. Enthusiasm, excitement, energy. If there's one thing I desire for this church, one thing that I believe we need now more than ever before, and many in the body are tapping into it, is to be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit. To be filled afresh with the excitement and the enthusiasm that he brings. Amen? How many are open to that? I think we all are. That's the desire that God places within our heart. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. I like the way Paul said it. He says, keep it. You got it. Now keep it. The Holy Spirit's in you. Don't allow that to dissipate. Just like it says, you know, let the, keep unity, he says to the, the church in Ephesus. Keep the unity. What? God gives you the unity. Now you've got to keep it. God gives you the Holy Spirit. He gives you fervor. Now you've got to keep that. You've got to walk in that. You've got to shepherd that. Serving the Lord. Spiritual fervor. That word fervor in the Greek language is zeo. It means this. Enthusiastic. Full of burning zeal. Infused, inflamed by the Holy Spirit. Hear me, friends, it's the very opposite of being dignified and unemotional. It's the very opposite. There's no spirituality in this. You know, sometimes you'll see God moving, and people might look a little bit weird to you. They're receiving from the Holy Spirit, and you say, that's just the flesh. Let me ask you, what's this? This is the flesh. It's the flesh. I remember, I think it's in 2 Samuel 6, we have the story of David when he's bringing the ark back into, uh, into Jerusalem, the city of David. And he's so beside himself. As they're carrying the ark, transporting it down the street, David, the scripture says, he's just dancing before the Lord with all of his might. And he's got this little linen, you know, garb on, and he's dancing. And I don't know for the world to see. He could care less. He's just dancing, excited about the Lord. And his wife, Michael... I don't know why you'd marry a woman named Michael, but I'm just kidding. I just came to my mind, something I shouldn't have said. Michael, you know, is looking out the window. She can see the distance. 
And David comes in and does this thing, and he's so excited because the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, is back in the city of God. David had a heart for God and for his presence. It was so meaningful to him. He's so joyful, enthusiastic. He's just dancing, the scripture says, with all his might. I'm not quite sure what that looks like, but he's probably exhausted. Maybe he pulled something. I don't know. He was just dancing with all his might. And when he gets into the house, you know, Michael, she just says to him, David, oh, well, didn't you put a fine show on out there? Embarrassing yourself before the women and the men and all that kind of stuff. And basically, David says, baby, you think that was undignified? I'll be more undignified than that. I'm not talking about flesh. I'm not talking about foolishness. But I'm talking about an excitement, an actual joy in the Lord that Nehemiah says will be strength to you, an actual enthusiasm, an excitement that will lift you up from out of the pit where you are, that will say to the devil, you don't have me anymore. I'm not walking with you anymore. I'm not living in the shadows anymore. No matter what I've done, where I've been, what you say about me, this is who God says that I am. This is what the Holy Spirit says that I am. This is what he has for for me and I'm moving with God I'm moving with God and you do that in love and you do that in humility but you recognize that if you're serving Jesus and you think it's boring you're not serving Jesus you're not serving Jesus it's a lot of fun in the kingdom the kingdom is meant to be a party there's struggle there's warfare there's real life that we live through but my friends joy is our strength he didn't say religion's your strength. He didn't say more knowledge is your strength. Joy. Joy comes in the presence of the Lord. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what the kingdom's about. It's not just in word or deed. It's not just a Christian lifestyle. It's an intimacy in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And finally, enthusiasm is a break with cultural conventions. The Bible says in Ephesians 5, don't be drunk with wine because that will waste your life but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now keep in mind that Paul is speaking to believers. That's very important. He's speaking to Christians. And I think what he's trying to say to us is, listen, I'm trying to warn you. Don't get caught up in the trap of always looking for your next novelty, looking for your next pick-me-up in another pastime, another pleasure, another purchase. He says all these things have their place, but they're kind of like wine. And if you're looking for the novelty of something new, you know, you feel down, so you got to go to the mall, or you feel down, so you got to go buy a new car, you feel whatever it may be, you know, and those aren't bad things in their time. But if you're looking for those things to pick you up, what you'll discover is eventually the little pick-me-up that you had, it will dissipate, and you're left holding the bag. And more times you're left off worse than you've begun because you're, now you're stuck with debt or whatever it may be. He says, don't get caught up in that world spirit. And he says, even worse than that, these pursuits will cause you to waste so much of what God has given to you, so much of what he has gifted to you to know and to experience. Friends, so much of our culture, the spirit of our culture, it is geared toward one thing. It is geared toward wasting your life, wasting your life. Consuming your time, consuming your resources, consuming your thoughts and your energies with things that don't matter in the long run. They may have their place, but they're not to be the focus. They're not to be the thing that gives you joy, the thing that picks you up, the thing that gives you a reason to get up in the morning. They won't last. They dissipate, the scripture says. 
He says it's the fullness of God. It's being in God, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. That is God's way of keeping you energized and growing and fruitful and fulfilled. Don't be drunk with wine. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's kind of a strange thing, again, to say to people who've already been filled with the Holy Spirit. And there's people who think, you know what, I was filled with the Holy Spirit 10 years, 20 years, 40 years ago. I spoke in other tongues and I still speak in tongues today. It doesn't mean you're full of the Spirit today. Not what Paul's saying. In fact, in the Greek language, Paul uses the word to be filled. It's what's called the imperative mood. That means it's a command. It's not an option. It's like Jesus said, don't you dare leave Jerusalem and go out and try to do anything in my name, even live a Christian lifestyle until you're endued with power from on high by the Holy Spirit. Don't you show them anything else than what real Christianity is, which is an overflow of the Spirit's fullness. Don't you go out with some cardboard Christianity. Don't you leave here until you get the real thing. He says it's a command, not a suggestion. It's also in the passive voice, which means that although it's something that happens to you, you have to allow it to happen. And it's also in the present tense, which in the Greek language speaks of continuum. It's ongoing. And so the idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit, Paul says, is that it is a command that you allow yourself to be ongoingly filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. And the way that you do that is by making yourself available on a regular basis to the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life. And friends, I'm convinced that part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit from, to every believer is to help keep us from becoming religious. Because religion is death. There's no power in it. Religious means that your identity is rooted to a Christian lifestyle. But you have no passion for Jesus. You have no hunger for Jesus. You have no hunger for his word. You don't feel like you've missed something at the end of the day if you haven't spent time in his presence. That's religion. And the Lord wants to keep us free from that. See, Jesus said in Mark 2, no one pours new wine into used wineskins because the wine will burst the skins when it expands. And both the wine and the skins will be ruined. Instead, new wine must be poured into fresh wineskins. And there's a freshness that the Lord wants to keep in us, in our hearts, a tenderness, a responsiveness, an attitude of receiving that freshness so that we're always able to receive new wine. I believe in that analogy the Lord wants us to understand that there's just too much life in the Holy Spirit for any religious system to contain him. You can't do it. In fact, there's so much power, so much energy, so much excitement and enthusiasm when you are filled with the Holy Spirit or when you are filled again with the Holy Spirit that those old religious molds, they just crack wide open. He'll just wreck that on you. If you truly want to be filled with God and filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to be willing to let go of the religiousness. You're going to be willing to let go of all your identity and security and all the things that you do and all that you think that Christianity is, and you've got to say, Holy Spirit, surprise me. You're God, I'm not. Let me be the one who changes. Let me be the one who expands, who grows. Let me not shrink you down. And through the abiding fullness of the Holy Spirit, I believe Jesus wants to energize you. And part of that energy is you begin to seize every opportunity that he has before you. 
You don't look at the promises of God. You don't look at the word of God or the work of the Holy Spirit within you as an optional thing that you may do, you may get around to. When you're full of the Holy Spirit, you lay hold of it. You say, that's for me. I want that. I want more. That's why it's an overflowing. It's not just filling to the top. There you go. You got enough. See you later. It's overflowing. Why? Because what God is doing in you, he wants it to spill out of you and touch people around you. And so he overflows us to be able to give it away, to give him away. So this morning, if you're feeling less than enthusiastic, I want to encourage you to get back into God. In theos, enthusiasm. He wants to infuse you again. He wants to excite you again. He wants you to have his optimism, his faith. The Bible says in Romans 8, God is the one who raised Christ from the dead. And he will give life through his spirit, what? That lives in you. The source of life is already within you. But he wants to well up like a river. And he wants to overflow you with that same power that raised Christ from the dead. I said it earlier, but the reason the early Christians changed their world was that every time they felt pressured to be conformed to the spirit of their culture, what did they do? They prayed that God would fill them with himself again. We'd be filled with God again. In Acts chapter 4, you may remember the story. The disciples had prayed for a man who was lame, a beggar for years on the side of the road. And the, the, the miracle was so undeniable that the religious people got their knickers in a knot and they brought the disciples before them and they were trying to figure out some way to shut this thing down. They realized it was an undeniable miracle. They had to put a spin on it somehow. They had to somehow try to contain this thing. They couldn't even deny that it was God. And so what do they do? They brought the disciples and they kind of gave them a hard time. They kind of roughed them over a little bit and threatened them. But what did the disciples do when they left? They had a little prayer meeting. And all they said was, God, help us just to continue doing what you called us to do. Would you just help us to do that? And the Bible says immediately after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were filled again. This is after Pentecost. They were filled again with the Holy Spirit. And they went out and they proclaimed Jesus boldly. Boldly. You see, they didn't pray for protection. They didn't pray for all the little things that bogged them down. They said, we know that this, that this is about the kingdom. We know what we're called to be, we're called to do, we're called to reach the world for Christ. So Lord, help us to do that. And the Lord gave them exactly what they needed. They needed more boldness. And they went out with enthusiasm and excitement and continued the work of God. We're going to move into a time of ministry. Invite the worship team to come. I want to remind each of us here this morning that there's not a single person here that Jesus does not want to fill with his Holy Spirit. There's not a single one of us here that Jesus does not want to refill with the Holy Spirit. Now, when he fills you again with the Holy Spirit, it doesn't mean that you get the gift of tongues all over again. No, you already have that. If you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit, you can speak in other tongues, but it means that he fills you afresh. It's just kind of like getting a shower. You just get the residue from the day before off of you, and there just comes this refreshness, this invigoration, this enthusiasm, this energy to face the day that he has for you. I want to encourage you as well, if you've not been filled with the Holy Spirit, or you might say, Pastor, I have been filled with the Holy Spirit, but I've never spoken in tongues. If that's you, I'm not going to argue with you and say you haven't been filled. If you say you have, I believe you. But you know what? If you haven't filled with the Holy Spirit, the Lord wants you to speak in other tongues. 
He will release that. It's a matter of you open your mouth and allowing it to pour out. And there's a beautiful purpose for that that we'll get into on another Sunday. But you know what I've found? You, you don't have to strain. You don't have to try to concentrate really hard to receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit. I've found most times that the Holy Spirit simply comes as you're worshiping Jesus. You're just worshiping Jesus. In fact, after the day of Pentecost, I could be wrong on this, but after the day of Pentecost, I don't see an instance where there was actually anybody who was tearing a long time to receive the Holy Spirit. We don't really see any more tearing meetings. You know what we see? We just see prayer meetings where people gather together to pray and hands are laid upon them they receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, this gift is for you. I don't believe it has to be any different today. Jesus will fill you with the Holy Spirit, and you will speak in other tongues. And let me encourage you as well. You don't have to make it up. <laughs> okay? You don't have to invent this new language. All you got to do is respond. And generally, it'll happen in one of two ways. Number one, you'll either just feel these words in your mind, and if you do, just begin to speak them. Another way is you'll, you'll kind of feel a physical sensation maybe and you'll just feel this welling up and you just feel like I'm going to burst if I don't ah, my mouth and worship the Lord. And you just open your mouth and the Holy Spirit just begins to wash over you and flow through you. The onus is not on you, my friends, to strive. You just need to respond. In fact, a lot of us who've been baptized with the Holy Spirit and who speak with other tongues and it has beautiful purpose in worship and prayer, intercession. There's so many beautiful purposes. We'll talk about another time, but probably most, in fact, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand if this is true, but how many when you were baptized with the Holy Spirit, maybe for a moment you thought, man, that's just me. I'm just making up this language. Yeah, a lot of us, you know? Even just for a moment. And so you may think that as well. Expect that, in fact. But still, just speak out what the Lord gives you to speak. And you realize it's not you just making it up. It's a heavenly language that the Holy Spirit gives to you that just washes through you and, and becomes a power for you and a presence of God for you that's available to you every single moment of every single day. And if you're here this morning, you were baptized the Holy Spirit a long time ago, but you've not walked in fullness for a long time, I want to encourage you to do the same thing. Just say, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I worship you. Would you fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit? Just fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit and worship Jesus and allow me to fear you this morning.